Glad that we're here tonight. Let's get our Bibles out. Let's use them. When you get your Bible, open it to the book of Acts. And if you didn't know we were opening the book of Acts, this is your first Wednesday night, and we'd like to welcome you. Because <laughs> we've been doing Acts for over a year, and we are getting near. Guys, we're on the last chapter. I feel like a friend is moving away. But here's the good news. You can go back and read the book of Acts anytime you want. It's not like when we finish this series, you have to shut your Bible and say, no, I'm done with that. You don't retire their number. This is, you can read this over and over again. As we get to the book of Acts chapter 28, we left off with um, the apostle Paul and his compatriots being shipwrecked. And you'll recall that uh, the apostle Paul told them, I'm telling you right now, we should not set sail at this time of year, at this location. It's going to end up bad. When they were leaving uh, the island of Crete, he said, let's not leave. But they decided they were going to winter somewhere else. And in the process, got shipwrecked. In the process, hit a huge storm. And you recall what we talked about, how uh, everybody was at a certain point began to believe that they were going to die. Uh, And these are experienced sailors. And some of them, uh, there were experienced soldiers on board as well. These guys started to believe, this is it. This is the end. We're going to die. And an angel of the Lord appeared to Paul and said, here's the good news, Paul. Uh, The Lord has granted that you are going to grow. He said you're going to go to Rome, and you will go to Rome. And because I said you're going to go to Rome, a shipwreck can't stop you from going to Rome. And I'm going to give you some mercy. I'm going to grant that everybody on this ship is going to live. Because you're on the boat, they're going to live. These guys would have been toast if not for Paul. He's on the boat, the Lord spares the ship, and they're all blessed because he's in the boat with them. They're blessed because he's in the ship with them. So here they have, they've, uh, when we left off, they had found that they were on land, and it turns out that the, the island they're on is Malta. And what's interesting about this, guys, is that the storm took them right along their course to Rome, which is weird. Um, They actually didn't lose a lot of time here. Uh, This is the course you would have taken, likely. And so they end up at Malta. And in chapter 28, verse 1, uh, picking themselves up out of the sand and the dust because, you know, they wrecked on the shore. They didn't land nicely. They wrecked on it. Uh, When they've been brought safely through, then we found out that the island was called Malta. The natives showed us extraordinary kindness, for because of that, the rain that had set in and because of the cold, they kindled the fire and received us all. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. So just think about what happens here. As you know, snakes are cold-blooded creatures. It gets real cold, they get real slow, they get real sleepy. This snake is, it's, it's, it's unusually cold in Malta right now. And so he grabs some firewood, and I'm, I'm assuming this snake is either sleeping or lethargic. He's not doing a lot. But as soon as, that, as soon as that wood goes in the fire, that snake wakes up real quick and comes and, and attaches himself to Paul's arm. Now, that's okay if it's a garter snake, but we're about to find out it's a venomous snake. Now, if you know anything about Malta today, there are no venomous snakes on Malta today. So some people have said, well, it wasn't venomous. Well, I'll tell you why I believe it was venomous, because the natives there, how many of you know, people have been living there all their life. They know what's around. 
I mean, they're not like kids nowadays that all, only know what the Xbox tells them. They know because they've been out there. And so if they were freaked out and said, this guy's going to die, I think they recognized the snake that latched himself on his arm. So Paul, it says here, he immediately shook this snake off. Shook the snake off. I'm sorry, I'm skipping ahead. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began to say to one another, undoubtedly this man is a murderer, and though he has been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. However, he shook the creature off into the fire, and he suffered no harm. But they were expecting that he was about to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. Why were they expecting that? Because they'd seen it happen. They're not just saying, oh, I wonder if this, these guys know this breed. They recognize the snake. Notice that there seems to be a period of time between the time the snake bites them, and there's just this period where the snake is hanging onto his hand, just hanging there. They get a good, good look at it before he shakes it off into the fire, and they're convinced that justice has not allowed him to live. If you study this in the original language, they're not talking about justice as an idea, but justice almost as a goddess justice as a person. So they're believing the gods have caught up with this guy and there's a reason he's got, just got bitten by a venomous snake. He somehow survived a shipwreck, but justice won't allow this guy to live. They know it because this guy came with his own troop of Roman soldiers with him. They know he's a prisoner. They know he did something bad. What they don't know is that he's really done nothing wrong and he's appealed to Caesar. They just think he's a criminal. And he must be an important criminal for them to pay all this money to put him on a ship and ship him to Rome. He must be somebody. So because he's shipwrecked, somebody might think, well, it looks like he's off the hook. But then they, uh, they see this snake and they go, well, the gods have caught up with him. Justice has caught up with this man. He's going to get what's his. The Romans told the story, very similar. There was an old story that the Romans told. And Malta would have been very familiar with the Roman fables. And uh, so... Uh, because they were, you know, many of them of, of Italian descent, Roman descent themselves. So there was an old Roman story or fable, a uh, myth about a man who had been shipwrecked and the same thing happened. A snake bit him because the gods wouldn't let him get away with murder. So the Jews had a story similar to that. So there was this idea, you're not off the hook that easy and you got what's coming to you. So that's, when they see that happen, they go, oh, he's got his. But Paul shakes it off in the fire, and then just, the scripture doesn't say he freaks out, he just goes about his business, and there, can you imagine the natives watching you the whole time, just waiting for you to swell up, just looking at you funny, just, just sitting back and going, well, there's nothing we can do for you now, not that we'd want to, because apparently, we don't want to get on the wrong side of the gods here, you did something wrong, obviously, you're a criminal, so we're just going to watch you swell up and die. I'm amazed nobody's like trying to do something, but maybe they figure we've seen this happen before. There's nothing we can do or should do. So here, let's read the rest here. So they're expecting him to puff up. And it says after they had, and they expecting that he was going to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had waited a long time and had seen nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and began to say that he was a God. How fickle the crowds are. They've gone to thinking he's being punished by the gods to he is a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us courteously for three days. 
And it happened that the father of Publius was laying in bed, afflicted with recurrent fever and dysentery. And uh, while we don't know exactly what this is, there was, um, there was a microbe at that time. There was something they called Malta's disease. And they, they found, you know, historians believe there was a microbe in the goat's milk that would give people this, this, these symptoms. And often they would die of it. it would, sometimes they'd recover, sometimes they would die. Either way, dysentery is not a pleasant thing to go through. Even if you live through it, it's not fun. So this man's sick in bed. His, this is Publius' father. I imagine he's pretty old. He's in bed with recurrent fever and dysentery. And Paul went in to see him. And after he'd prayed, he laid his hands on him and he healed him. After this had happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and getting cured. Can you imagine this? You shipwreck on an island. You just want to go to Rome. You just want this to be done. And all of a sudden, revival breaks out on the island. And people are saying, this guy, something special about him. Now, if we were to take what happened earlier in Lystra... As an example of what happened here, I, I'm almost positive that the Apostle Paul did not let them believe for five minutes that he was a god. Remember the last time they said he was a god, he, he and his buddy ripped their clothes and said, stop that, we're not gods. So even though the scripture doesn't tell us here, I'm, I'm, I can assure you the Apostle Paul didn't go around letting them think he was a god, right? Had he done that, nobody would have got healed because there's no power in Paul, there's power in the name of Jesus. But here he goes, and all of a sudden people are hearing, and this is very similar to when uh, Peter's, remember Peter's mother-in-law got healed, uh, Jesus healed her. And when Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, all of a sudden word got out in that town and the surrounding region, and people started bringing all their sick people to Jesus. And Jesus, the Bible says Jesus healed them all. This is very similar. The same thing is happening. The word is getting out on this island, and God is, is using these miracles to spread the news of the gospel. It's says here, they also honored us with many marks of respect. And when we were setting sail, they supplied us with all that we needed. Not only did God supply their needs, but he supplied them an opportunity to share the gospel and to spread the good news of the kingdom. So this is, is exciting. This is a good thing. But let's just focus on the obvious point here. I just want you to focus on what the scripture says that Paul did. I know this is the, like I said, it's obvious. It's not hard for you to, to come across this yourself, but think about this. He gets bitten with a snake. Even if this man believes that God will heal him, why isn't he freaking out just a little bit? Why isn't he going and, and telling his buddies, you know, we know Luke's on board. We don't know how many of his other friends are on board. But why isn't he saying, guys, quick, emergency prayer meeting, come on. He just goes over to the fire. Well, he's already at the fire. And he shakes the snake off. And the scripture doesn't, the, the only thing the scripture mentions is everybody else's reaction. It doesn't mention his reaction. I would think if he was freaking out, it might say something about that. Why? Because you know what? Paul didn't live his life saying, uh, I know this is how many years I'm going to live. We see uh, him talking in, in Philippians about deciding whether he was going to live or die. We know by the time he got to the end of his life, he was convinced he was done. But, you know... I would say a lot of people might say, God, is this it? Am I dying here? But what Paul had was that Jesus had directly told him on that boat, you're going to Rome. Come on up, come on up. So because you're going to Rome, you can't die on Malta. Come on up. 
right? Now, this guy's come back from a lot. This guy had been stoned to the point of death. Like, when I mean stone, I mean rock stone at him. To the point, they dragged him out of the city, convinced he was dead. He got up and went back into the city. This guy's been through some stuff. The Bible talks about him spending some time in the deep. There were times where he was in life and death situations where he was convinced he was going to die. But here, he's got no fear, apparently. Just shakes it off in the fire. Why? Because he hears that word from God, you're going to Rome. And if I'm going to Rome, I can't die here. I think we all need to have this attitude throughout our life. Not everything is certain in your life. Not everything is for sure. But one thing is for sure is the God that you serve. And there are some things that he has said and he said very clearly. And you've just got to determine those things are bigger than all the other things. Because like it or not, when we panic and we freak out, Paul shook that snake out in the fire. Had he freaked out, had he panicked instead of shaking the snake off, do you know what? He'd still be shaking something off. He'd be shaking off the promise of God. You're always going to shake something off. And every, every opportunity you have to freak out, to panic, to lose your cool, to lose your joy, to, to step into fear, you will always be shaking something off. Either you're shaking off the circumstances or you're shaking off the promises of God. You get to pick which one you shake off. You get to pick which one you're going to believe. Because they don't both live in the same room. Romans chapter 4, Abraham talked, God talks about, through Paul, about Abraham, who considered his body as good as dead, his deadness of Sarah's womb. God says, you're going to have a kid. He goes, how? No, I'm too old to have a child. My wife is certainly too old to have a child. And the Bible tells us that he considered all of these facts. You know, there's nothing wrong with facts. I hear people sometimes talk about what we believe, and they say, oh, they just want you to ignore what's going on. They just want you to pretend, and, and if you pretend it's, it's not there, it won't be there anymore. Uh-uh. Faith is not ignoring facts. Faith is saying there's something bigger than the facts. Like I've said so many times, the Israelites, Joshua and Caleb, when they go into the promised land, they didn't say there were no giants. They didn't say there were no fortifications. It wasn't that the ten spies said there's giants in the land. Joshua and Caleb said, the lion, there's no such thing as giants. There's no such thing as giants. In Jesus' name, there's no giants. Of course, they wouldn't have said in Jesus' name because, you know. But they didn't say that. They said there are giants. There are fortresses. But if God is with us, if he's for us, he'll give us the land. Those giants and those forts will be our prey. So it's this life that we live, this life of faith, of trusting God, of believing his word, is not a life where you ignore facts. It's not a life where you ignore the situation, you ignore the circumstances. It's a life where you acknowledge that God is bigger than those things. And his promises are eternal while the things you're looking at are temporary. And the Bible says the things that are temporary, those things that are seen, it says, are temporary. And the things that are unseen are eternal. So eternal always trumps temporary. Unseen always trumps what is seen. You've got to consider So I'll finish the thought. What it said about Abraham, it says, considering his body, considering his wife's womb, that it had been long out of use. And she wasn't able to have kids when she was young, let alone now when she's super old. 
It says, with respect to the promises of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in the faith, giving glory to God. Now, I love that. Because what he's saying there is that he didn't ignore the facts. He didn't ignore what was going on. But the promises of God, with respect to the promises of God. That means he looked at the facts, but he also looked at the promises of God. And the promises of God win the battle. The promises of God are bigger than what you see. The promises of God are bigger than what you feel. The promises of God are bigger than everything that seems to be true at the moment. The promises of God are eternal. You know that God sees past this. Like we said so many times, the fact is that the Israelites have the Red Sea in front of them and the Egyptian army behind them. Those are the facts and no way around it. No matter how hard you scramble your brain, there's no way out of that situation where you come out alive. But the fact that's bigger than those facts is that God said, I'm bringing you to a promised land. Be still and know that I'm God. And those facts don't seem to line up, do they? Because you guys have been in situations like this where you see the Red Sea in front of you, the Egyptian army behind you. You say, I've got two options. I drown or I get killed. Either way, I'm going to die. I drown or I get hacked to bits. Maybe they'll be nice to me and take me back to Egypt. Those are your two options. But there's always another option, isn't there? Those are the two options you come up with. But when God says, I'm bringing you to a promised land, you go, God, there's something you know that I don't know. And for the Israelites at that moment, what he knows that you don't know is I can open the water. I can cause it to split and cause you to go on dry land. Bet you didn't come up with that. Hey, smarty pants. No, I didn't come up with that. And it wasn't their job to come up with that. You don't have to figure out what kind of miracle is going to happen. You don't have to figure out how God's going to do it. You just have to trust the promise of God. Sometimes we say, I'll have faith as long as you show me how you're going to do it, God. Well, that's not faith. That's still sight, isn't it? Abraham sets out not knowing where he was going by faith. Abraham set out not knowing where he was going, Hebrews 11 says. It, you see, Abraham could have said, God, I will go wherever you tell me to go, as long as you tell me where I'm going. You draw me out a map. You give me blueprints. You tell me uh, in a year from now where I'm going to be, two years, three years, four years, five years. Tell me where I'm going to live. Tell me where I'm going to raise my grandkids if I live to see them. But God didn't do that. God just sends them out and says, just go. I'll tell you along the way. It's not your job to figure out how God does it. It's your job to say, he will do it. His promises are bigger. You're going to have to shake something off. We are going to resist tonight singing any pop songs on the radio. As tempting as it may be, every time I say shake it off, I know what's going on in some of your heads. We're going to resist that. Some of you go, thanks a lot. Wasn't in my head. Now it is. <laughs> if it helps you, fine. If you just sing that, just sing that chorus at some point, and that helps you, praise God, go for it. But all of God's promises are yes. Through Jesus Christ, we have our amen. Your amen is important. His yes is the most important. Your amen's just right up there. If you don't say amen to the promises of God, you don't see them. That's what the Bible says. Be imitators. It says in Hebrews, be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. 
I can infer from that statement that if I don't have faith and I don't have patience, I don't inherit all these promises. There are just some things that God has promised that I won't get because I wasn't willing to stay and wait for him or I wasn't willing to trust him when I should have. Sometimes God's mercy is so big that even in your silly unbelief, he overwhelms you with his loving kindness and it still happens. But there are times, guys, where we don't see the harvest because we fainted, because we quit. I said something, I remember uh, to a group of young people years ago, and I was just speaking at a conference, and one of those young guys came up to me, he's now an adult, and he came up to me and he quoted the sermon back to me like he had just recorded it. And it was amazing, but one thing that stuck out, stuck out to him through all of that was when we had talked about the fact that we must respond to the Word of God. And one of the things that I guess I had said that really stuck with him was that no response is a response. Do you know what I'm saying? When we don't respond to what God says, and we don't respond to what God's telling you, and when we don't respond to his commands and his word, you are responding. You can't stay neutral. You can't just say, well, I'm just going to put it off. I'm going to stall. You know, Sister Gaytan, when she got baptized a few weeks ago, she gave that testimony. I thought she did such a good job when she said, I was, something like, I was the queen of delayed obedience. Yes. And then she said, and I realized delayed obedience is disobedience. Absolutely right. Yes. You can fool yourself into thinking, I'm just going to put this off. I'll just stall. I just won't make a decision. You are making a decision. Yes. We got to get on, get on one side or the other. Get on one side of the fence, guys. Are we on the, on the Lord's side or are we on our side? Come on, come on, come on. Do we believe or do we not believe? Yes. You got to pick. Because you're going to be shaking something off. You're either shaking the snake off in the fire or you're shaking off the word that God told you on the boat. Because this is what would have happened. Paul freaks out and he goes back and he goes, I don't know, guys, I think I might die. <laughs> they seem really convinced that this snake's going to kill me. I've never seen it before, but I feel like I'm going to puff up. I feel like I'm going to die. What he's saying by all of that panic and all of that fear, as understandable as it is, what he's saying is, that snake bite is bigger to me than that angel appearing to me on the boat. The snake bite is more real than what God said. Because they both can't be true. I can't die in Malta and get to Rome. One of them has got to be real. And you know what? It's way easier to believe what you saw with your own eyes and you feel on your hand. Isn't it? We trust our senses. God created you with five senses that serve you well, and we trust them. It's a lot easier to believe. There's a snake on my hand. I felt it. I felt the bite. I felt its teeth. It's a lot easier to believe that and, and somehow explain away that angel. I was delirious. I hadn't eaten. Maybe it was just a dream. Isn't it? The things of God are harder to believe at times than the things you just saw. That is what it means when we say we have got to walk by faith and not by sight. That's right. Faith goes against your immediate senses. It, it, over, it overrules them. It's not that the laws of nature don't apply. It's not that your senses are lying. It's that there's a greater truth that overrules it. If our local judge here in this provincial court had made a ruling... And he ruled uh, against you in, in a matter. His ruling may be legal. His ruling may be correct. 
but it can still be overruled by a higher court. So if you go to the Supreme Court of Canada, now we've skipped a few steps, but if you were to go to the Supreme Court of Canada and that judge says that rules against you, but the Supreme Court rules in your favor, guess which one wins? The Supreme Court. They're not, they both can't stay at the same time. They both, both rulings can't stand. There is a higher court. So there is truth, there are facts, but there is a higher truth and there is a higher fact, which is the word of God. So the fact is, you may very well have a terminal disease. But the truth is, if the Lord's still got something for you to do, you still got, a lot, you still got stuff here to do, and you're convinced that, he, you're convinced that this is what I'm supposed to do, you've got to just say, whose report am I going to believe? Come on now. Come on now. I'm not saying the doctors are lying. The doctors are telling you the truth as best they know it. Right. Right. X-rays aren't lying. Yeah. Blood tests aren't lying. There's something bigger than that. I can't tell you why everybody dies. I can't tell you why everybody lives. But I can tell you this. We have to believe the word of God above all other things. We get in trouble sometimes because we interpret the word of God how we best want to see it. But there are times, and you guys know it, there are times where you can't deny the Lord has spoken. And there are promises in here which don't come with ifs. I can't tell you everybody, everyone here is going to live to 150 years old. I don't think anybody of us want to. But I can't tell you how long you're going to live. I'm not the one that numbers your days. But I can tell you this. If you have a mission from God, and you're convinced that you will fulfill that mission, God will see it through. And that's bigger than everything else. His mission is I'm going to Rome. And in that moment of fear, when that snake latches onto him. See, I don't know if there was anything going on in his head at that point other than just shake as a reflex. I, I don't think Paul, I could be wrong, but I don't think he was some superhuman that didn't have an adrenaline shot when a snake jumps out of the fire and bites your hand. Come on, guys. I don't care how spiritual you are. At that moment, ugh. So he might have just shaken it off as a reflex, but what about that period after where everybody's just gathered around him looking at him weird and he's not freaking out and he's not he's not panicking he's not drooling all over his shipmates going guys I'm sorry you need to pray for me again I just I just don't feel safe I just you know he didn't do any of that he's trusting that there's something bigger than what just happened and that was the word of the Lord the word of the Lord overrules everything else. And, and your senses and your best knowledge will scream against it. How do you know, guys? How do you know you're going to heaven? How do you know that you're, you're not, you're not going to go to hell when you die? How do you know that? Through faith, absolutely. Where'd your faith come from? Word of God, right, yeah. Faith came by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Somebody spoke the word of God to you about how to be saved. You believed it. You confessed with your mouth. You believed in your heart. You called upon the name of the Lord. You called him Lord, and you were saved. So now, there are going to be periods in your life where you don't feel like somebody who's heaven-bound. There's going to be periods in your life where you have doubts about that, and those doubts, the Bible tells us in 1 John, there's a moments like that we assure our heart before God because God is great. It says when our heart condemns us, 
We assure our heart because God is greater than our heart. There's going to be times that you go, I'm not worthy of this. There are going to be times where you say, I don't deserve. And you're right, you don't. But God is greater than your heart. And his rule is higher than your rule. And he said, I have saved you. You're mine. I've called you by name. And I'm sorry, you don't just get to decide you're not anymore. I have called you mine. We've all gone through those times where we've questioned. We've all gone through those times where we've doubted. Doubt, it comes, it happens. As Martin Luther said famously, while he probably still had the tonsure on his head that looked like a bird's nest, he said, I can't stop birds from flying over my head, but I can stop birds from nesting in my hair. You can't stop a thought from hitting your mind. Jesus didn't stop the devil from saying what he said. But he did stop the devil from having any place in him, and he shut it down right away. There's going to be thoughts, there's going to be doubts that pop into your mind. You are not evil for having those thoughts or those doubts. But you can't let them make a nest in your heart or your mind. You can't entertain them. You can't babysit them. You can't feed them. You can't adopt them. You got to shut it down just like Jesus did. How did he shut it down? The Word of God. He opened his mouth. He said something. I used to think I could fight thoughts with thoughts. I can't. That just ends with a, that's just a cycle. And you'll stay up at night, you'll be lying in bed, battling back and forth, back and forth. Sometimes you've got to open your mouth and shut that down, just like Jesus did. Are we greater than our master? Absolutely not. If Jesus did it, that's what we must do. So I'm going to, so those two examples I want you to go home with tonight. I want you to go to the example of Paul Not freaking out, not panicking. Why? Because God said you're going to Rome. That's big. And if the Lord said you're going to Rome, you're going to Rome. You're not dying in Malta. I don't care what a snake says. I don't care what the locals say. Listen to what I say. Remember what I said. Then I want you to remember the example of Abraham. And no matter what he felt, no matter what it looked like, no matter what, if he had lived in our day, he would have had piles of medical reports that backed out, backed up his, his concerns, backed up his reasons to doubt. Because a doctor would have taken one look at his wife and said, no, that's not happening. You want me to do some tests? Okay, I'll do some tests, but it's not going to happen. And you, I don't know, guy, you're almost 100 years old. Really? Is this something you want? What does it say? But with respect to the promise of God. We have got to have every situation begin with that. With respect to the promise of God. I feel terrible, but with respect to the promise of God. I I, I don't think I fit in, but with respect to the promise of God. I feel like quitting, but with respect to the promise of God. It doesn't look like it's going to turn out this way, but with respect to the promise of God. You have got to have the promises of God higher in your thoughts, higher in your, in your heart, higher in your idea of what, what rules your life than what you see, you feel, and experience. Experiences are valuable, but they are not the end of the day. A blind man... As the, old, as the old African, or it might be Indian fable. The old fable says, anyways, <laughs> blind man touches an elephant, thinks it's one thing. Another blind man touches a different part of the elephant, thinks it's another thing. One thinks it's a snake, one thinks it's a tree. You know, you know the old story. They're all touching the same animal, but here's the problem. They've got limited perspective. 
your perspective is limited. I hate to burst your ego, but you do not see what you think you see. Your perspective is so limited. It is limited to what you have experienced. It's limited to your knowledge base. It's limited to how you interpret it. It's limited to what even, even our own science has experienced. We are just scratching the surface here, guys. As cool as science is, as, as, as wonderful as it may be, it is not near, not even close to grasping what's going on in the universe. But God has all that. So if you base your ruling on your experience, what you see, feel, touch, and hear, smell and taste, your perspective will be limited and you won't have the whole fact, the whole truth. But if you trust a God who sees beyond all that, who lives outside of time, who's all powerful, if you trust that, yeah, all I can see is a sea in front of me and an army behind me, but trust the God that can open the sea. Trust the God who when Elisha is surrounded, he's in a city, his servant says, we're dead. There's an army surrounding the city. You're an old man and I'm your servant. I should have got a different job. In that moment, Elisha says, open his eyes, God. And when he says that, God opens his eyes and he sees the army of heaven. And he says, there are more for us than there are against us. You don't see what God has in his hand. You don't see his side. So what you need to do is trust his word. Because Jesus said to Thomas, Thomas said, I'll believe if I can touch. And the Lord had mercy on him. But he said, blessed are those who see, who don't see and believe. And I believe that when you're young in the faith, God has mercy on you and he'll give you opportunities to see, feel, and touch. There are times where he is walking you along like a toddler and he's saying, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you touch this. I'm going to let you see it for yourself. But as you grow, you're going to have to put more and more dependence on his word alone, even when you don't see it. I believe that. I believe that it takes faith, but it also takes patience at times. You're going to have to shake something off. Either you shake off whatever has bit you in the hand, or you shake off God's promises. And it's a dangerous thing to shake off his promises. I would much rather shake off my circumstances than shake off the promise of God. Let God be true and let every man be a liar, the Bible says. That means, that doesn't mean that every person is a liar in the room. But what he's saying is, if God and a human disagree, let God be true and everybody that disagrees with him is a liar. Let God be true and every man be a liar. That's a refrigerator statement if I ever heard one, just one that you look at every day. Let God be true and every man be a liar. Let's shake off what bitch in the hand instead of shaking off the promise of God because that's the one thing that's going to get you through every year of your life, every tough time, every circumstance that seems impossible. Do I hold to the promise of God? We have to be strong in these days. These are the last days. They're not going to be pretty. You have to be strong. You have to hold on to something. And holding on to just, just a nice version of religion, holding on to whatever kept you through some of the things in the past won't be enough. You're going to have to hold on tight to the things unseen. Because the things unseen are permanent. The things seen are temporary. Amen? Let's stand up and let's pray together. Lord, we give you glory and honor. Let's just bless, just bless the Lord. 
Let's just thank him right now. Because some of you are right in that moment. You, are, you got a, a snake hanging off your hand right now. If that snake is hanging off your hand, we're going to shake it off by praising God. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that you are greater. You are greater than what's attacked us. You are greater than what's lined up against us. You are greater than reports. You are greater than what we can see. God, we trust your word. We trust your promises that they are yes. We add our amen. Lord, you are faithful. You are good. You are merciful. You are strong, God. You are a great God. Is there anything too difficult for you? No, there's not. For all things are possible to him that believes and all things are possible to our God. If God is for us, who can be against us? So we bless you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Help us to praise you as if it were done already. Help us to rejoice as if it were done already. Help us to dance and laugh and sing as if it were already done. Because as far as you're concerned, it is already done. Oh, we're not going to wait. No, we're not going to wait until we see it. We're not going to wait till we see it to rejoice. We're not going to wait till we see it to thank you. We're going to thank you now. We're going to rejoice in you now. For you have done it. Thank you, Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord at all times. May your praise be continually on my lips. Some of us are going to have to grow up and get stronger. You don't train two minutes before a fight. You train in advance. When I say get stronger, everything you need, he's already given to you. There's not one thing you need to bring to the table that he hasn't given you. But I think we're all aware some of the things in these days and in these times that God's going to require of us are going to require us to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. To lean not on our own understanding. To walk into the fire knowing that the God that's in us, that if God is with us, the safest place to be is in that fire. Where those Hebrew children have such audacity as to say to Nebuchadnezzar, throw us in the fire, we don't care. Our God will deliver us. God will deliver us. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We trust you. Lord, I thank you for those that aren't here tonight but are part of our body and they're fighting battles right now. Would you just strengthen their hearts and strengthen their faith that they would have the, the courage and the faith to shake off whatever's been thrown against them. Lord, that we, we know we stand as one. We stand together. Not one of us is an island. So, Lord, we hold them up in prayer right now. We're interceding for them that they would be healed and made whole, spirit, soul, and body. They'd be encouraged. Lord, those that are out of a job, God, you would show them. And in that time of unemployment, they would know that you are taking care of them and you got a job lined up for them, that they wouldn't lose faith or lose heart. Lord, those that are fighting sickness, God, that they would not be discouraged by what they feel, but they would trust what you've said in Jesus' name. Lord, you are greater and we trust you. So we give you honor. We give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you. We love you guys. Have a great week. Be blessed.